Hey everyone, welcome to the Christ and Coffee podcast. I'm Jeremy, this is my good friend Haig, and we're here back again with our brother Shant Barsumian from California. Um, we're at our sixth episode and our final episode in this series that we've been doing on the I Am Statements in John's Gospel. So the last one of these statements comes in chapter 15 of John's Gospel, where Jesus says, I am the true vine. So let's just recap here real quick. We had, I am the bread of life. We had, I am, help me out guys. <laughs> That's it, right? Just the bread of life. Um, That's just I, it. Light of the world. Light of the world. The resurrection and the life. Oh, I skipped over the gate and the shepherd. Right. Uh, and we had last week, the way, the truth, way, and the, the life. truth and the life. And so now we're at the last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am the true vine. Um, yeah, I have a funny story with this. When I was uh, doing my first public reading of scripture uh, right in college, I remember one summer at my church, I had to read the, the, the biblical reading before the sermon, and it was this passage. And uh, in the translation I had, it didn't say true vine, but it said divine. So I kept reading, I am divine, I am divine. And my parents thought I was losing it because they think I'm having this like Messiah complex because I'm, call, I'm saying I'm divine, divine over and over again. Uh, but the true vine is a reference to not divinity here, but uh, a wine uh, garden imagery, there a vineyard. Go. I don't know, Haig. I think you're pretty divine. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so for... Maybe for some readers, uh, understanding what a vine is is a good place to start because many sure. of us aren't uh, accustomed to agricultural uh, metaphors. Life. Yeah. Jesus uses it because it's a common image uh, in the culture of his day, not just agriculturally, but the Jewish people used a vine as a symbol for their nation and, and who they were um, in the ancient world. Um, so, a, you know, a vine... Uh, unless you grew up in Fresno or an agricultural area, you wouldn't really know yeah, what it is. Fresno. Yeah. Fresno listeners out there. <laughs> Shout out to Fresno. Um, or actually, no, we're Armenian. So, you know, Armenia makes some pretty darn good wine and, uh, and uh, brandy and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, the vine is what uh, grapes grow on. Um, I mean, it could be any other thing, but here specifically, it's talking about growing grapes uh, for eventual pressing and developing into wine and culturing. So um and Jesus is referring to himself as the vine and to the followers, to his disciples, as branches. And um, God the Father as the gardener. Right, right. And so this is kind of like a parable. John doesn't do very many parables. The gate and the shepherd thing was the closest thing to a parable we've had so far. But this is kind of the, the closest to a parable we've gotten. So what are the dynamics at play here? What's the, the image? You have the, well, like you're saying, so there's the vineyard and the, the God's the gardener. He's there to take care of the vine and to make sure it bears fruit. Um, and then you have this image of Jesus as the true vine or really like the source, right? That all the other vines kind of sprout off from Jesus. And he's in a sense, that's that pipeline or that streamline of the nutrients and all the good stuff, you know, down in the roots getting all, all the nutrients, sucking it up and, and sending it through that 
main branch, that main vine, the true vine, and then mm. all those nutrients get sent to the, the offshoots and the branches, and that's how they bear fruit, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's the image that we have here. And the gardener plays a role in the upkeep and the health of that, the whole plant, right? Uh, to make sure that it gets the right nourishment. And also talking about trimming mm -hmm. the vine and cutting the dead branches and all that kind of imagery Jesus uses here. And yeah, like I said, it's kind of like a parable without a parable, right? It's kind of like a lot of parable imagery right. tied into this I am statement that Jesus makes. Um, and I think uh, even a step further or a step prior, the father plants the vine, right? So the vine is planted first yeah. by the gardener, so to speak. And so there's something uh, and, 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 and the intention of the gardener in planting the vine is to get fruit to nourish the people or to to enjoy right i mean the, the purpose of wine is to enjoy its celebration right it's enjoyment so so the divine will is the joy of the fruit that's going to be bore born born i don't know which <laughs> the the fruit that's going to come from the vine um and so the divine will is to plant so that your joy may be complete which is john language all throughout yeah there's a end result right there's an end goal with all this Right, right. Um, so since I seem to be the uh, the one who hammers this this point every time, <laughs> the Old Testament <laughs> scholar of of the group, yeah. right? This is the context, Jeremy. This is the this is the Passover festival. So again, it's still it's like a chapter removed from the last I am statement. So it's still Passover. So they're going to have wine. So right. a vine, a vine image fits here but also in the old testament and and especially in the prophets and isaiah specifically there's a um basically a, a similar parable a parable uh where god laments over israel and he says you're i, I carefully crafted a, a garden and i set it aside and i put in that garden this beautiful uh choice seed that would grow into a vine and I, I took care of it and I nurtured it and I loved it and I poured my life out to it. And when I looked to get fruit from it, it was all spoiled, rotten fruit. And so the prophet is lamenting with God that Israel has just become a spoiled, rotten uh, community and there's no good fruit to, to be taken from it um, in, in that moment of, of uh, Jerusalem's history. And so here again it's sort of completing the imagery and jesus is saying now i've become the vine that helps produce the good fruit and uh, i'm offering my life as a conduit for that fruit to grow and develop and and you know the kind of fruit you grow when you're attached to a vine is the the, the kind of fruit that the vine or what am I trying to say? The kind of fruit that you grow is the kind of tree that you plant, right? So you get apples from an apple tree, you get oranges from an orange tree, you get grapes from a grapevine. And so if you're attached to Jesus as the vine, you're going to produce Jesus fruit. I mean, that's... that's You'll know them by their point. fruit. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, the, as my dad always says, the pomegranate doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So there's this beautiful imagery, but then there's this... Uh, responsibility on our end right so like yeah. the duty of the disciples is to abide or remain depending on the translation and uh it's kind of confusing like well, like okay you're using this like metaphor 
you want me to remain, but how do I remain? And then Jesus is saying, all right, love me and obey my commandments. That's how you remain. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's a two pronged kind of thing. And it's interesting that this is really the only I am statement I can think of that has the concluding, including the us, right? I am the vine, you are the branches, right? So now not only is Jesus revealing something about who he is and his divinity in this I am statement, but he's connecting it to us, you know, his people, his church. So there is a, I don't know, not a transition, but now it's like part of Christ's work and divinity is, you know, uh, uh, being connected to him. Yeah, and it's interesting that uh, this, is, this transition is happening after the promise of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's intentional, but in between the, the past two I am statements is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then he also even transitions to being like, all right, you're no longer my disciples now. You're gonna call, I'm going to call you my friends. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's interesting. The metaphor breaks down a little bit in that sense because a, a branch doesn't really have a decision whether to abide or not in the vine. But here the metaphor kind of tweaks a little bit and breaks down where now he's saying your responsibility is to stay attached to me. Um, And that's a theme all throughout the gospel of John is this remaining theme Uh, all throughout John. His vision of discipleship is stick around, stay with me. Um, Abiding or remaining is, is uh, uh, it's home language. Make your home with me. Stay, stay here with me. In fact, even at the beginning of the gospel in the introduction, um, John says that the word of God uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. So he made his home among us. And the word there is literally the word for, he, he made up, he, he pitched a tent. That's literally what the, the word means in Greek. He made a, uh, he made a home here among us. And so his, his point here is come on in, stay at home with me, be with me, remain in me by uh, loving God and one another and by obeying my commands. Yeah, and we know this like practically, right? Um, I love the expression, uh, show me your three closest friends and I will know a lot about who you are. Mm. Uh, and the question is, is God, is Jesus part of that closeness? Like, are we, because we are going to be uh, shaped in, uh, uh, by the people we're close with, like just naturally, if you're around people who are doing bad things, chances are it's going to affect you. Um, but if, we, if we're around Christ, if we're obeying his commands, if we're in prayer, if we're doing spiritual disciplines, if we're in God's community, if we're staying in his parameters, uh, we will be transformed. We'll be producing mm-hmm. good fruit. Like it's, it's really straightforward, even though there's this like antiquated metaphor that it's hard for the, the 21st century mind who's not a farmer to, right. to quite, quite get. But like practically speaking, are you just staying close to Christ? Yeah, right. It's a natural thing and it's an active thing, right? So like you said, the, the branches have no choice but to bear the fruit of whatever it is, right? It's just a natural flow of things. So as long as you're connected, it happens naturally. There isn't any extra effort you need to do. There isn't any extra work or anything you need to do. It'll just naturally flow and bear fruit in your life. So it's that's literally, yeah. it's literally organic. Right. Yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Insert dad joke there. Um, <laughs> I, I'd like to know what you guys think about the fruit. So it says good fruit. Um, what is that good fruit? So we said love and obedience, but uh, what is, you know, practically, what do you think that looks like, love and obedience? What do those specifically look like? Because I always yeah. think of like fruit, oh, like fruit of the spirit, right? So there's this like yeah. bouquet of things that 
should bear in our life uh, as a result of being connected to Jesus, right? Right. Um, and that's how you can test. You can almost kind of like reverse engineer. At, so we're saying, Jesus saying, oh, abide in me, stay connected to me. So then we have to ask, well, are we connected? Are we abiding in Jesus? Are we getting those nutrients? And the question is, okay, are we bearing fruit? Right. And what does that fruit look like? So that love and obedience, I think, uh, is that is I think that's kind of how we stay connected to Jesus, right? Yeah. So I was saying, like, it's a natural process. It's organic, but it also takes some effort in this sense of we have to, like, say, are we connected? And mm-hmm. I guess how we can figure that out is that love and obedience is is where is our heart? Uh, you know, do we love Christ and, and as he commands, love others as Christ loved us? Mm. Do we have that in our heart? So it's a self-examination. And then do we exemplify that in our works and our actions? Do we obey? Right. Uh, is, does it actually have a, tan- uh, 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 you know, does it have tangible results in our life? We can't just say, oh, I love Jesus. I love my neighbor, but what am I doing? Um, right. So just kind of that test of, of both ends. So I think that's where the love and obedience fits in. And that ultimately bears the fruit of the spirit in our life. Right. I think what, uh, the fruit is a metaphor for character and an action, right. And in, in our lives. And so, uh, you know, in some ways, like we've kind of mentioned it already, but the character should be similar to Jesus's character and the action should be similar to Jesus's action because we're attached to the vine and that organically is how it takes shape. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So like, this is a repeating of the Monday command in the Monday Thursday service, right? Mm-hmm. A new command. I give you love others as I have loved you. He says this again, uh, that character is the love like to love like Christ likes. And it's fascinating that Jesus is mentioning it now for two reasons. One is he didn't imagine if he said that right away to his disciples, he, he said like, he said it after his, at the conclusion of his ministry, three years with them. He was, show, he was showing them what this looks like for three years. And he also says it right after Judas leaves the party and is about to betray him. That sets in motion the ultimate act of love, which is laying down your life for a friend, mm-hmm. which he does on the cross. And I think you point to something I haven't really thought about until now, but that those acts of... Um, the act of bearing fruit is rooted in a community mm-hmm. because they it, it, community with Jesus and community with one another. So they learn what it means to be disciples. They learn what it means to bear fruit by attaching themselves to Jesus and learning it. And then they teach others as they become uh, leaders in the early church, they teach others how to live like Jesus. So it's inherently communal. It's, it's not a dis, you know, disembodied individualist thing. Um, where we come up with certain virtues and we say, yeah, I'm living by those virtues and I think that's good. And it's like, okay, but are they rooted to the Jesus tradition? Are they rooted to the church? Are they actually Christian virtues? And yeah. Or are they just, you know, ideas that we like to embody? Yeah. You can't be an isolationist and a loving person at the same time. It's like, if you're lonely, you have no opportunities to act in love. Like it's just like logically love is other focused. Right. Right. And Jesus really connects loving him to loving others, right? Mm-hmm. It's really, intri- you know, intrinsic to what the kind of love he wants to have looks like. It, it has to be in community. I want to make a point. I want to, not a point, but I want to pose the question because this is something that I've struggled with and I think others might struggle with in the Gospel of John. Um, in John, especially, maybe not so much in the other Gospels, but in John, 
when Jesus says love one another, he often means love your brother or love another disciple of Jesus, right? Um, and so I've heard it argued before that what Jesus is calling the church to is to love other brothers and sisters. It doesn't mean what Jesus is not saying is love your enemy or love others outside of the church. Um, I've heard that regularly said in communities where Jesus only wants us to love other Christians and brothers, but not people. But Jesus the does say love your enemies. <laughs> I mean, how do you justify that? Uh, you know, maybe not here in this context, but Jesus does say love your enemies. Bless and, those yeah. who curse you. Right. And how can you love your enemies if you don't love your brother? Right. It's all connected. It's all like whole one domino or one card and the whole structure falls. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't understand. So how, how would we reconcile would... that with, with, with John's statements about love here? I'm, I'm just trying to, to reconcile them all together. When John is saying love your brother or love a, a fellow disciple, um, he's not excusing us from loving on the broader scale. In fact, it might be the way I've conceptualized it. Right, exactly. It might be the training ground for future loving of people outside the community. And and ultimately, like, so he's connecting this, the love and abide here specifically with being connected to the vine. So if we're to be connected with Jesus, there needs to be this love between uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ that keeps us connected to Christ, that keeps the flow going and that bears fruit. And I think that's the, the fruit is loving your enemies, loving others, uh, loving those that are different than you. I think that's the fruit, whereas the, the command to love your brother has much more to do with staying connected with Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and yeah, making sure that that flow was there. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question you're bringing up because I've, I've heard yeah. it in different contexts or uh, I heard it with exception, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, but we're not supposed to love that person. They're an enemy. They sinned against us. They're legit enemies of ours. Um, and uh, Jesus says, like, if you want to be perfect, you have to love like the father who's perfect. And he says that in the context of what good is it if you only hang out with people who are the same like you? Right. What well, makes you perfect is your ability to love people who are different than you. And that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean simply your enemy. It could just be like someone who's not of your same socioeconomic background or ethnic group right. or religion. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately, it's worked its way into some theological systems, too, yep. where there's actually conceptualizations of God's love that's only for the church and not for the outside world. And I think that's a misreading of John. I think what John is saying here is if if you are bearing fruit, you will love your brothers and sisters. If you're not loving your brothers and sisters, that's the first stop. Like, what happened? You, <laughs> Why can't you love your family? Because you can't love your enemies if you can't love your family. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and... and, and sh- a true sign of character is loving people when it's difficult, right? Like the command is the same. Loving your enemy and loving your neighbor is the same command. It's just the right. object of the love is different. It's right. the same thing you're supposed to do, except when you're loving the person who's difficult to show love to, uh, that's where your character gets revealed or not. Yeah. And that's where you get formed spiritually into the, the character of Christ, because that's what he does. <laughs> Even while we're enemies, Paul says, uh, God shows his love in that way. I also find it interesting that he transitions, like he's no longer calling them disciples at this point. He's calling them friends. Uh, One of the, one of my least favorite Christian songs 
uh, in the contemporary world, and there's many of them, is uh, I am a friend of God. And like the chorus is, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. And it's like the cheesiest thing that I would never yeah. sing to like my own wife or my best friend. Because it's, like, yeah. it's like a cheesy version of love and yeah. friendship that, yeah. that I just cringe every time I, I hear that song. Um, but I know a lot of Christians who don't view Christ as a friend. And I feel like the, the more I've been abiding in Christ's love, it's like, yes, he is the great I am mm-hmm. in the flesh. He, he is all these things that we've been talking about throughout the series. But now he's also a friend where I get to do ministry with, obey, and just enjoy Christ's presence. Right, right. Yeah, and that intimacy of being a friend with the divine is yeah, is uh, amazing pretty amazing thing and it you know it's something that's unparalleled um for most of the biblical narrative i think only abraham other than i think abraham is the only other one that's considered the friend of god or a companion or or co-laborer with god until jesus um and a lot of it uh and i think i don't know if we mentioned this but you know this imagery of the vine and the plants bearing fruit and everything even going all the way back to the garden of eden right? Where, where we have the tree of life. And then because of sin, we've been separated from the tree of life and mm. cast out of the garden. But now Jesus is bringing us back into that garden and reconnecting that. And, you know, we hear that Adam and Eve walked with God. God was walking with them in the garden. There's this intimacy mm. and casualness that's now in a sense being restored by Jesus. Yeah, that's really powerful too. I mean, tree imagery in the bible is a really big thing and i don't want to nerd out and get into that but in genesis one podcast yeah exactly but genesis one that that initial imagery of the tree is huge because i mean that's really i mean there's a wisdom element to what's being said here too that you know the tree of the knowledge of what will bring life and death what's good and what's evil um has broken us really because we took that responsibility on ourselves and we've said what's good in our own right uh, at the expense of others. And here uh, Jesus is saying, I'm the wisdom, attach yourself to me. I will give you good and I'll teach you the way to walk in and you'll bear fruit um, that's life-giving as you attach yourself to me. So uh, there's also a sort of wisdom theme of coming to Jesus and learning from Jesus similar to last week, uh, the way, the truth, and the life, learning the way of, of goodness and life with him. Yeah, because I, I, I like this motif because, like, for me, the, the original sin is human, humanity thinking they're God and, uh, and making the choices of right and wrong. Uh, and we often in the West focus on Jesus Christ being the, the Savior who forgives us of sin, but we, we kind of limit his lordship. And that lordship is saying, all right, I am tired of being the judge of right and wrong. I'm going to surrender that right to Christ. I'm going to trust his ability to discern good and evil, not my own ability where there's a lot of folly and foolishness that usually happens when we think we are God and we could make those claims. But if we are abiding in the one who is the Lord, who is the great I am, uh, to be God again for humanity, that's where the fruit comes because God has the perspective, the eternal perspective. He sees all the data points. We can't, we're in the system, but if we are abiding with the one who knows all the data, we will bear fruit that lasts. Yeah. And I think you're good that you're pointing out the Lordship because I don't think Jesus declaring us as friends 
doesn't, you know, negate his lordship, you know, it's that we were servants. Now he's at least elevating us to, to the friend status that he's not like, in a sense, things are uh, that a servant wouldn't know. We know that there's a going to be more of a, in a sense of a, a sharing. We're going to have the spirit. We're going to have more of a connection to Jesus. Uh, uh, we're going to be in this new covenant and have this uh, stronger connection, but he's still Lord. He's still declaring who he is. Uh, and there is still that lordship there. And yeah. it's interesting because just want to point out, like, he even talks about, well, what happens if you don't abide, if you're not connected? And the picture's pretty grim. The, you know, God's going to come, the vine dresser's going to come, and he's going to cut you off and throw you into the fire. And that's like picture of hell, Gehenna right there. Uh, and that's what happens if you're not connected. There's, in a sense, there's a judgment to this too, separating the sheep and the goats and cutting off the dead branches if they're not connected. Yeah, I think um, backing it up to this image of, you know, wisdom and, and good and evil, as Haig, as you were saying, this idea of being connected to the tree and being given this knowledge of good and evil. It's interesting how that relates to this concept that anchors the whole rest of the the whole rest of the story of, or the whole rest of the upper room discourse in love, right? So if we... Well, when we took from the when we took from the tree of of good and evil and decided what was best for us in our own eyes, inherently that meant we took at the at the cost of others, right? Like we took for our own self gain or for our own tribe's gain at the cost of others. And here, learning from Jesus actually restores this relationship and reconciles us with others, where we love one another as we attach ourselves to divine wisdom, and as Jesus invites us into that. Um, yeah, but like when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, uh, he said, love God and then love others in a nutshell, right? It's connected. If we're connected to the branch or the source of love, it's going to naturally outpour from us. Right. And John says, first John says, if we're not loving our brothers, we're liars. Because guess what? If you're loving God, you will manifest that by loving other people tangibly like Christ likes them, loves them. Um, and I, I think this is important to stress because uh, like a lot of millennials have left the church. And one of the main reasons they've left is because they see a lot of hypocrisy in the church. There's these high claims of, all right, this, this divine love, uh, this abiding Christ-like love, but it's not there. And uh, I mean, I'm going to sound a little grim here, but I feel like there's been this natural, all right, the system, this church is not working as well as I thought. So it's not bearing fruit. And I think a lot of churches, like I think the church right now in the 21st century in America is going through this pruning because it's not bearing Christ-like fruit and love. Hmm. And it's interesting uh, right now with this quarantine, how these systems are being exposed even more. And we're kind of having this new sense of what does it mean to bear fruit in, in the right. kingdom? Are, are these old church models working right now? Are they... And by working, I mean, are they producing Christ-like character and love into this world or not? Right, mm -hmm. right. That's yeah, I think, uh... I think that's a pretty powerful point. I mean, the, mm -hmm. yeah, the point of planting the branch, the point of putting down the seed to get the vine is to get the grapes, to get, to get the fruit from the, from the vineyard. And if it's not bearing fruit, then... It goes back to Isaiah, you know, so the, the whole Isaiah thing is, uh, oh gosh, I wish I had the chapter. I think it's chapter five. It is five. Yep. It's five. Yeah. It's a song too. 
and it's a it's a lament yeah it's a song of lament where god is just disappointed he's really hurt he's really broken there's a lot of pathos and so that's also something to remember too that when he does the pruning and when he does the destruction bit he's really sad <laughs> like he's really it's upset yeah yeah and so the point of planting the vine was for joy to be made complete for blessing to go out into the world and it just squandered the opportunity and destroyed it and so yeah i think in some ways the vineyard song belongs in in our churches right now to think what have we done why have we done so poorly why has our fruit Mm -hmm. been destructive and divisive and not healing and reconciling the the fruit of of the uh, the Isaiah text that he was looking for is righteousness. Um, and, and righteousness is this language of right relationships and uh, some establishment of equity and justice among one another, where we all get to thrive and live well. And he says, instead of finding righteousness, I found, I found death. I found destruction. I found violence. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's important to remember in our in our churches that there is a calling, there is a standard to which we are called to bear fruit. And if we don't, what are we doing? Like, it's it's a waste of God's time and our time. Right. It's a mockery of and, God. Yep. Yeah. And it's a challenge because it's 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 a it's a call as individuals to remain connected to Christ, but it has that community impact, right? It's when when we are connected to Christ, then we necessarily have to be connected in a loving way to people yeah uh, people in the church people outside of church in that sense that we're bearing that fruit for the kingdom um and yeah like you're saying if millennials are skeptical uh of the church whole the whole structure uh it's like oh well we got to reevaluate are we being are we connected to that vine um and and we need to in a sense we can't bear fruit and grow outside of that community you know Grapes come in clusters, right? It's, it's, it's all connected. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, that's definitely something worth to be more introspective and, uh, uh, to take a hard look at what are we connected to? Again, if you're not connected to the vine, what are you connected to? Yeah, right. Like, what, what is the fruit that you're trying to make then? Like, yeah. what are you doing as a branch? That's a, that's a huge point, Sean. There, there's no such thing as being disconnected from a vine. We're all attached to a vine. And that might be where some of the metaphor falls apart here. But, yeah, but, but, but there's, there is no being totally unyoked or, or, or unconnected or disconnected from something. We're all attached to something. The question is, what fruit is it bearing? And, and that's a huge, helpful reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we need a PSA too. There's no such thing as, as individualist Christianity. Like you right. can't do Christianity on your own. It's inherently a, uh, a way of being with others in, in yeah. the world, being with God and being with others in the world. The more you're connected to Christ, the more you're connected to one another effectively. Yeah. yeah. yeah the more connected you are with, let's say, uh, living life for money, the, the fruit of that is going to be yep. maybe making money, but doing things along the way that may not be a loving uh, to get those means. And then, sure. then you get to the judgment and then it's like, all right, you, you've been connected to the wrong tree this whole time. I'm going to have to prune you because throw you in the fire. This is the consequences of the disobedience. It's, and I, don't, I think it's important to see that in the terms of the natural consequences, you're doing something you weren't supposed to be doing. Therefore it's not going to be, 
be able to flourish. Um, yeah. Who I think it's uh, I think it's James Smith. He summarizes Augustine's teaching as "You are what you love." Right. Yep. This is book and, here. And so, you know, this ultimately comes down to you know what or who do you love and what kind of fruit does it produce in you? And this is an invitation to love Jesus and to bear the fruit of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So do we love the I am or do we love uh I am's uh of your own devices? And uh it it this has uh important consequences depending on what our ultimate loves are um so this wraps up our series on the i am statements we went through all seven of them in six episodes uh sean thank you for joining us during this yeah, series thanks for having me uh, let's get this connect uh jeremy uh thank you for joining and all those who watched all six episodes of the i am statements we love you to death um super you. fans you, you are you are they like achievement of some kind <laughs> yeah hopefully we'll have uh, a christ and coffee cups in the in the in the pipeline there you go there's nothing that shows love than a cheesy uh materialistic uh <laughs> oh, gift yeah. that you can to support our ministry all right everyone stay caffeinated much love and read the gospel of john for yourself uh thank you so much bye-bye oh.